Three, two, one, go! Hello and welcome to another episode of Time Extend, and this is a very exciting one. Joining me, as always, is Brendan Rorison. But Brent, we have a very special guest today. Absolutely, we have uh, what some arcade racing game fans would call absolute royalty. Um, we have the voice of the co-driver from Sega Rally 1995, Kenny Ibrahim, here with us. Kenny, it's, it's a pleasure to meet you. Well, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate this opportunity. To, uh, to be interviewed about this, what is it like? Almost 30 years since I did this. Um, it's it's uh, it's very interesting and should be a lot of fun. So I'm glad to be here. Speak for ourselves, Adam, and we say we're surprised or maybe the first people to directly quiz you about this, Ken, because yeah. everybody knows your voice so well, but they might not know the man behind it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's interesting because um, that was in '95. I joined Sega, I think, in '94, uh, and I was there for about a year and a half. But uh, every 10 years or so, something about Sega Rally and my <clears throat> involvement as the voice of it, you know, crops up somewhere. I guess now because, you know, the internet, actually, I, I first used the internet when I was at Sega. That's when kind of when it first came out and became available to the public. Um, but then with social media, and I'm somewhat active in social media, so I guess people figure this stuff out and they'll end up contacting me. So on average, every 10 years, there's a little like resurgence of Sega Rally interest, it seems. And, uh, and yeah, so it's kind of fun that way. I, I kind of forget about it until that happens. Like, oh yeah, I did that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think our paths crossed initially a couple of years ago because somebody, and I don't, I don't know who, unfortunately, but they created this amazing meme, which was like the, uh, Homer Simpson chief Wiggum scene where they're in the car, but they were actually yeah. on the, on the desert course from Sega rally yeah. and your voice was yeah. playing as the co-driver. And uh, it was this beautiful moment where all the Sega Rally fans kind of came out of the woodwork and you were like, hey, that's me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. Somebody, in fact, uh, a Japanese acquaintance of mine that were friends on Facebook said, hey, you got to check out this video. And so I did. And I you know, followed that back to, uh, to the Twitter account and then posted on there that it was me. So I think, yeah, that probably stirred up some, some interest again as well. But that was a lot of fun. I was like, wow, that's my voice in there, you know. <laughs> yeah. And I'm Homer. So that was interesting. <laughs> how often do um like do fans and stuff reach out to you and they're just like hey i played the game so long ago thank you you know that kind of thing uh yeah again like every 10 years or so something happens and then uh i'll start to read through some of like the twitter comments um and i think wow this really has had some kind of a real impact on people so that, that makes me feel really good and um <clears throat> and then i feel okay I'll, I'll make some comments in there and that starts some more feedback and uh and responses 
And I have seen people say things like, "Oh, you know, I used to play this with my dad or something." And I, you know,、yeah. your voice reminds me of my time with my father. And I'm like, "Wow, that I, I'm I'm kind of touched and honored to to have done that for people." You you don't think about it when you do it, obviously. And of course, I'm a huge fan of it. Science fiction, and I got a lot of people that I met in my life. It's like, oh my god, you know, you you get really uh really shy and whatnot to meet these people, but you want to tell them how much their influence has had on yourself and, and what they've done for you, and I get all choked up when I try to say it. So it's kind of interesting to be in the situation in reverse where I've had that impact on somebody else. I'm really I'm really happy that's the case. Yeah, I mean, from my perspective, Ken, um, I. Got to play Sega Rally for the first time because of like my dad, for example, and when、okay. I was going through playing racing games through the years and stuff, like Sega Rally always stood out to him as the most apparent one he can remember us playing together. And every time、oh. he'll still say a few lines of dialogue that you've said. Like, oh yeah, yeah. Like, overjump, easy ride, maybe you know that yeah, type yeah. of stuff. And <laughs> and he always says like any time I'm playing a rally game, he'll be like, "That's what's missing these days. Like need that little bit of character and the the co-driving. <laughs> it's all it's all too cut and dry these days. We we need a bit of fun okay. stuff." <laughs> yeah, no, it's great to hear in, in your case as well. Yeah, it's just great to have been part of that, honestly. Yeah, I mean, I I think back to the fact that you know this game is almost as old as I am. I've been playing it almost my entire life.、Um, so to be able、wow. to to sit here today and and talk to you, like two huge Sega Rally fans, talk to you about it is a is a pretty humbling experience. So yeah, again, yeah, thank you. Oh yeah, yeah. you're you're welcome. I mean, it wasn't.、Uh, I just, it's you know, lucky circumstance. I guess is a good way to put it. But it's too bad you guys weren't this age at the time we did it. I'm sure if you were in Japan and Sega, we would have had you in and shown you around the department and all that. Oh, we、uh, we were fortunate enough to visit、uh, the Sega office in the UK a couple of years ago, and、okay. uh, even even that was a cool experience. But、um, yeah, that was that was really the heyday, right? And you were there. Yeah, you were there right in the thick of it. <laughs> In in the very yeah. yeah influential period, yeah I think actually I was part of a wave of people who had come in. Sega was trying to hire more non-Japanese、uh, to kind of you know more internationalize the departments they had there, both on the、uh, development side and the non-development, you know, marketing and sales side. So I had developed like a network of, <clears throat> of friends there who were not Japanese as well, mainly Americans, a couple of Brits,、um, and、uh, became really good friends with them. So we're still friends today. So it's a great group of people that I still I'm in contact with, maybe monthly or so still.、Uh, and one of them, his career has been somewhat similar to mine, and we've lived in、uh, the same some of the same areas of the states, and so we've seen a lot more of each other over the course of the years and some of the other people.、Um, but I remember there was some kind of a push where they were hiring,、uh, trying to hire more non-Japanese at the time. So I think I was part of that wave. Yeah, and I might be backtracking a little bit now, but let's let's talk about you know how that came about、uh, because Sega was because、um, I was just kind of going through your resume and it seems like it was kind of earlier in your career and and you've had you know it's funny because we're here today you know talking about Sega Rally talking about your involvement with it but you have had an incredible career you've worked at some pretty big names all in the realm of. Computer graphics, entertainment simulation, that sort of thing. Today, you're at Lucasfilm,、uh, which is,、mm-hmm. you know, at 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 their peak of relevancy too.、Uh, so, yeah, yeah, doing how, well, yeah. <laughs> how did this all come about? You know, was it a desire to make games,、uh, movies? How did you get your start? Well, if you're re- willing to to take the time to listen to it, I've got, you know, I can go over the kind of 
the origin story of it, so to speak. So basically, when I was a kid, I, I loved science fiction, and um, <clears throat> there was a show here. I'm, I grew up in uh, on the central coast of California, and Channel Two was one of the main TV stations back in like the early late seventies, early eighties. And there was a show on Saturday nights called Creature Features, and it was hosted by a guy named Bob Wilkins. I remember that. So he introduced. Uh, there was a lot of um, horror films. And I didn't tend to watch much of the horror stuff, but he played all the Godzilla movies and all the like Japanese kaiju films, and so that really influenced me. So I kind of fell in love with Godzilla. But it wasn't until he started a, a second show that was on not Saturday nights but every weekday. So like when kids got out of school, they would see it. It was called Captain Cosmic, and、uh, he had like a cape and a helmet, and he had his trusty companion. It was a robot. This was happening right after Star Wars came out, basically. So he had two T two was the name of his robot. But he also that series、um, or TV program introduced a lot of Japanese anime and live action series. So、um, they had stuff like Space Giants and、um, uh, uh, Star Blazers and whatnot. <clears throat> But the main one that had a huge influence on me was Ultraman. I loved Ultraman and getting home every day to see what the next episode, what powers he was going to have, and what, what kaiju were going to come out. So、uh, I think it was my mom took my brother and I from Monterey, where where I am now. Uh, or actually, the neighboring city of、uh, Pacific Grove, but up to San Francisco, it's about two-hour drive, and they have a Japan town up there, and they have this Kinokuniya bookstore. And so, in the bookstore, they had all, in the kids section, they had all kinds of Ultraman books, and they were these kind of like、um, not like magazines, and kind of between magazine and book, it was like hardcover stuff, all the internal pages. And in one of these books, there was a centerfold that had all the Ultra characters of the time lined up, and so I didn't even realize that Ultraman had a family. And there was a king, and the mother and father, and all these brothers and cousins and things. And so, one of the clerks in the store was kind enough to translate all the names that were written on the centerfold page. And that started my interest to really know what did the rest of the Japanese text in these books say, because I just had to know more and more about Ultraman.、And、so, my mom had gone to school with some、um, uh, like second and third generation Japanese here, and there was a.、Um, A like a pro or an institution called、uh, the JACL, I think Japan American Citizens League, and they had、uh, Japanese classes on Saturday mornings. And so my mom said, "Well, why don't you go and try one of these classes and see if you like it, and you can try and learn Japanese." And she thought shot,、uh, for sure I'd go once, and I wouldn't want to have anything more to do with it. But I ended up sticking with it. So I started like the end of middle school and went through high school. Unfortunately, because nobody in my family spoke Japanese, I didn't get. Uh, I wasn't able to practice at home, and so I think more than anything, I got a kind of sound for the language.、Uh, but I really fostered my interest in it, and so when I went to、uh, I went to Santa Clara University to study computer engineering, and when I did that,、um, I had two free electives in all for, all four years because、uh, for the engineering courses they really stuff it full of、uh, full of classes. But I used those two free electives to take the first two elementary Japanese、uh, classes, and I learned a lot more in those two semesters of that than I did in like the the five years I took the、uh, Saturday lesson. But I was really appreciative of that that organization、uh, gave me the basis in it. I then ended up applying to a program called、um, the JET program, stands for Japan Exchange and Teaching Program, and basically they'll send uh, uh, folks from、um, native、uh, English speaking countries like the U.S., Canada, England, whatnot. Um, Australia、uh, to Japan to help the Japanese teachers of English teach the kids、uh, native-sounding English, help them with pronunciation and so forth. So I ended up doing that. I mean, that wasn't my goal in life, but it was an easy way to get my foot in the door. I got accepted, so I went over there to Japan, and they they don't tell you where they're going to、um, place you. You just have to agree if they accept you. Then they tell you where you're going to live. So it's not like oh, I'm going to go to Tokyo. You know, you could be anywhere,、right. some suburb or some 
boondock area. <clears throat> so they ended up placing me in a kind of good uh, kind of um, uh, area. There's a couple uh, hours north of Tokyo by train called Gunma Kang, uh, Gunma Prefecture. And so I spent the first year there teaching English. And what I did was I bought all the rest of the textbooks from the university. They went through all of their courses up to the advanced level. And I basically went, I had a lot of free time when I was teaching English. I sit in the teacher's uh, room and I would go through all these books. And of course, the Japanese teachers would see me and they'd say, oh, he's trying to learn Japanese. They're super helpful. So I got a lot of the basis of, of Japanese. And again, this is one of my main interests in going to Japan uh, in that first year. And then after that year, uh, back to the university, I was looking for jobs um, in the computer programming area. So I did get the, a job through the career center at the school uh, for a job that was in Tokyo to program Macintosh software, uh, again, back in the in the early 90s. So I came back to the States for, um, it was just under a year because it took them a long time for some reason to switch my visa type. So I was on an instructor visa type for teaching English and they were changing it to a, an engineer uh, visa type for, for programming work. So I don't know why it took them that long. So I was back here uh, for about 10 months. I finally made it back to Japan and I started a job uh, doing that Macintosh uh, programming. Um, and it was while I was there that they had some other programs that had nothing to do with what I was tasked with. Uh, that were um, kind of multimedia type software. So it was like early days of Photoshop and, and things like that. Uh, Premiere and uh, of course, Macromedia Director. I don't know if you guys are pretty young. I don't know if you remember that, but Macromedia people would use familiar, that. Yeah. 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 So Director was kind of a, uh, like a multimedia authoring software and they had their own kind of scripting language called Lingo. So I thought, oh, that's, this is really cool. You can make animated graphics for presentations and stuff like that. So I, I go there after hours at the company and, and kind of learn those programs. Um, and then uh, while I was working for them, I ended up dating this girl and uh, she was a lot of fun. And uh, one day, um, one weekend, she said her, her office was moving. I forgot where they were, but they moved to the uh, Shibuya area, which is pretty popular in Tokyo. Yeah. So I had moved to, to a part of Tokyo at this time. And she said that, oh, she I had told her about my huge uh, influenced by Ultraman, all that stuff. So <clears throat> the company that made Ultraman, it's called Tsuburaya Productions. Uh, you're, you're probably familiar with that. It was the name of the, the man who started the company. And um, anyway, so she noticed near her new office that there was a Tsuburaya Eizo. Eizo means image. So it was like some offshoot of that company. So she said, hey, if you want, we can go out there. So <laughs> I said, oh yeah, yeah, I gotta go check this out. So we went on a date, I remember on a Saturday. And she took yeah. me to where this office was. Sure enough, that's what it says up on the on the sign. And the lights were on. So I think at the time, like there weren't many people that would work on a, on a weekend in Japan, but the lights were on. So I told her, hey, can you wait here a minute? I'm going to go upstairs and just see if anyone's there. So I went upstairs, <clears throat> knocked on the door. It took a moment. Somebody opens the door. And in my kind of like basic Japanese at the time, I said, uh, I'm a huge uh, Ultraman fan. And the guy's like, oh, oh come on in, come on in. Wow. <laughs> so, so I went in, he sat me down, brought me some coffee, and we started chatting. And uh, it, it was awesome. And I, like 30 minutes later, I'm thinking, oh no, my girlfriend's waiting outside. I completely <laughs> forgot about her. <laughs> so I remember I went to look through the window. She was still there. So I went back downstairs yeah. and, and told her, just give me a few more minutes. And luckily, she was kind enough to, to wait for me. But basically, that started a relationship with this guy at, at Suburaya and what they were actually looking for. After I told him about everything, all my ideas about Ultraman and whatnot, he said, well, actually, we're looking to start a new series. And it'd be great if you could help us out, kind of review it for us as an American, what you think about, about it. I think, oh, my God, this is great. And anyway, so one of the things they wanted was what would be a good name for the character? 
And uh, I, I tried to come up with a bunch of names, but they said it was going to be mainly like a uh, more of a black uh, costume as opposed to the silver and red. And he would be able to appear and disappear and things like this, you know, fade in and out and whatnot. So I think the name I came up with was Stella. I thought oh, that's a pretty, pretty cool name. In Japanese, it would be Stetsu. And so I don't know maybe if the if the sound in Japanese didn't sound that good to him, but they didn't end up going with that name. But the main benefit that came out of that actually was uh, that guy would invite me to different meetings. I mean, imagine here I am. I have nothing to do with that industry at the time. I'm just some random foreign guy who showed up at their office. <clears throat> And now this guy, like every couple of Saturdays or so, says, "Hey, come on over. We're going to be meeting with, with these folks. Maybe you'd be interested." And I said, "Oh yes, thank you so much." And I'd go in there and I wouldn't say much. But one day, uh, he had me come over, and there was two guys that came in, and they were from a company called Buildup at the time. And Buildup, I later discovered, is kind of like a, a small version of uh, ILM or Industrial Light and Magic back here in the states. Mm -hmm. And they made uh, kaiju suits. They made uh, like plastic model kits that were sold. Uh, they worked on a bunch of TV commercials. And most importantly, uh, I didn't go into the whole thing about when I was in high school and got into the first computers that came out. And I uh, uh, saw, I'd just say a little bit about that. I really wanted to go into doing special effects for film. And I'd build plastic model kits and I'd light them up with fiber optics. That was my thing, like lighting them up. I wasn't very good at painting them. Um, excuse me. But anyway, uh, <clears throat> Then the young Sherlock Holmes came out, and that kind of like was a light bulb went off in my mind. Like, hey, that is that's really cool. That's something called computer graphics, and it's a way to kind of do what I want to do physically, but not have to do it physically and have to have the space to house things and store the models and all this kind of stuff. I can do it all virtually on the computer. So from that point forward, I had in my mind that I wanted to get into computer graphics somehow. So. Uh, that programming job, you know, kept me in Japan, and then the story I've told so far got me to meet this guy that, you know, worked at the company that made Ultraman. And then this one particular meeting, <clears throat> this guy that had the company build up, the most kind of attractive uh, aspect for me was that they were doing some computer graphics. Again, this is early days; they had like three workstations. And uh, for some reason, this guy took a liking to me while we we're having this meeting. And he said, "Hey, do you have any plans after this meeting?" And I said, "Uh, no. It's like a Saturday. I got nothing to do." He goes, "Okay, you're coming with us. We're going to go to another meeting." So now, imagine I went to this company, <laughs> met this guy for the first time ever. Now I'm traveling with this guy to another meeting where he's pitching a game, like a video game concept that couples could go into arcades or game centers, as they're, they're called in Japan, and basically would take a picture of each of their faces and it would try to come up with a baby that would kind of look like the two of them. Oh. <laughs> I remember wow. that, and like he was asking me for like, well, what do I think? Do I have any ideas about this? While we're talking, like the CEO of some other company that he was thinking about working with and contracting to help them build that. It's like, wow. So I built this relationship with this guy. His name was um, Okabe-san, and uh, so I ended up like hanging out with him quite a bit. And he was really trying to court me to come work for his company, Buildup, which to me was like, okay, this is this will be great. I'll go and work at that company. But over the course of time, I really expressed an interest with him to, to work on the computer graphics stuff. And he said, well, yeah, of course, I'll let you do that. But, you know, we're using those for actual work. And so the only times they're really going to be available, because we have already like three CG artists, will be in the middle of the night. That's when the workstations will not, not be used. So if you want to go in then, you can. I was thinking, oh, okay. And of course, all the manuals were in Japanese for the software they were using. Um, and, you know, I could read Japanese at, at a basic level, but to get through all the manuals is going to you know, be more effort for me than, than in English. Um, and then I could also tell he really wanted to expand his, uh, his presence throughout Asia, and he wanted my help uh, with English to do that. 
So it involved a lot of traveling with him in Asia and other things, handling stuff, dealing with, with English to Japanese and so forth, which at the time really wasn't of that much interest to me. Like now, if I had that kind of opportunity, I think, oh, that, that sounds fun. I'd probably do it. But at the time, my real focus was on the computer graphics. So uh, his wedding was coming up <clears throat> and he said, hey, I'd like you to you know, come to the wedding. I'm inviting you to the wedding and I'd like you to give a small or short speech, but do it in Japanese. You know, so it was kind of like the token American guy speaking some Japanese at his wedding. So I thought, yeah, that sounds like fun. So I did that. <laughs> and shortly after I gave the speech, uh, I was approached by these two guys. Uh, one's last name was Uryu, Uryu-san, and the other guy's name was Mizuguchi. Mizuguchi-san, so this is Tetsuya Mizuguchi. So he's pretty well known in, in the oh, industry. Of course. And th so they were both at Sega uh, in, in AM3 at the time. And so, you know, they started talking to me and asked me where I learned Japanese and all this, and what am I doing? How do I know this guy? Uh, what are my interests? All this kind of stuff. He says, hey, you want to come and see Sega? And I'm like, you sure I do? So, um, so I don't know how much longer it was, maybe no more than a month on their invitation. I went over to Sega and, uh, they gave me the tour and I, I met the head of the department, um, Oguchi-san. He was what was called the Kacho, which was the section, like section chief. Later on, he became the president of all of Sega. Mm -hmm. So I had seen yeah. him a couple of times since then as the president, uh, that's another story. It's kind of funny, but, um, <laughs> but anyway, so, so, uh, they said, are you, would you be interested in working here? And I said, I thought, well, sure. It's kind of, it was kind of time for me to move on from my other programming job anyway. And, uh, so I remember it's okay. Well, you'll have to do an interview and whatnot. You have to take a test. There was some kind of a, a test. I vaguely remember it had to do with like, um, pattern recognition and things like that. So I went in there and did all that. And apparently I passed because they, they made me an offer. But uh, for me, there was no negotiating. It was just like I was being hired as a Japanese would be hired, where basically they'll just show you a sheet of paper that shows you what your salary is and how much it'll be next year and the year after that and so forth. So I had other friends that came in. Apparently, they negotiated, but I just I was too excited to get the job. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so that was how I got to Sega. Uh, you know, in a long, drawn-out nutshell. Um, yeah. So it was just a great like series of events that happened. So all about timing, you know. That's an incredible story. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's it's one of these things where I mean, Ken, obviously being humble yourself, you're describing it as an like just the timings of everything was correct, that sort of thing. But yeah, like the I don't know, bravery is the right word, but just going straight into that studio, knocking the door, and being like, "Oh, I love Ultraman," and then yeah, everything going from there. Like, if that isn't a good testament to how important it is to follow your own intuition, what is? <laughs> Right. Yeah. 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 I mean, I, I did have a dream of sorts and I, I guess I just did what I could to, to follow it. But I, I'm a pretty gregarious person and I, you know, I, I socialize quite a bit. I was a lot shyer when I was younger, but as I grew older, I became more and more outgoing. And so I, I like striking up conversations with people and it's not too often I feel kind of shy or intimidated to do that kind of a thing. So um, and maybe also at the time I was in my like early 20s, so I was probably less inhibited in that regard and, yeah. yeah yeah so um just just the whole aspect of being asked to provide a speech at someone's wedding and you don't speak the language as well as they do would horrify me so that's where my story would have ended <laughs> yeah. but the fact that you kept pushing through and got yeah. these amazing jobs out of it is uh, is pretty special so well, then, i knew i had to uh, get a couple of drinks in there before i did the speech yeah. <laughs> <laughs> of course uh, so 
so you end up working at Sega, and was it mm -hmm. direct with the AM3 team at that point, or how how did your role exactly <laughs> form? Yeah, so I did. I, I got hired specifically to work in in that group, but it was in a subgroup within AM3, and in Japanese it was called Jokan Design. So Jokan means kind of like sensibility or feeling, and this was Mizuguchi's like department within AM3. So I was specifically hired in that department to do, um, again, I was coming in as a programmer and <clears throat> they were working on a, um, uh, an amusement park ride that featured Sonic the Hedgehog. And what they wanted to do was, um, I think at this point I had already been on star tours uh, at Disneyland back in Anaheim. And it just reminded me of something very similar to that. So basically you were gonna sit with a number of other people like on an elevated platform uh, and then Basically, what would happen, you'd watch these visuals in front of you, and it'd be Sonic running ahead of you. And as you're running, you're on this path, and the path would, uh, uh, would you know, break into two, and you'd have to figure out which way you're going to go. So each adventure could be different because you'd have these different splits along the paths. And based on, you know, uh, which, which direction Sonic goes, you'll see something different. So, again, you'd want to go back and back many times to see all the, the potential outcomes. But um, so what, what my role was was to write some software that would use... Um, I forgot how many people we had, but maybe like 10 people in the group, something like that. And we all sat near each other in, in classic Japanese style uh, in one room with no separators or anything. Uh, but basically everyone had, um, in this case, they were all the, the Unix or actually IRIX boxes at the time. These are silicon graphics machines. So these were very, you know, very expensive machines and the software that ran on them was very expensive. But I was going to write some software that would use the network of these machines to let each person pretend like they're one of the people in the ride. And as you're approaching one of these uh, points where it's gonna fork, I, I had it set up so they could use the left and right arrow keys on the keyboard. And you can kind of keep hitting it as many times as you can to indicate which direction you wanna go. And the program would tally up the collective, you know, hits on either left or right. And it displayed these two like primitive 3D arrows on the screen, like getting bigger and smaller, bigger and smaller until finally you get to the point where the decision is made and then if it went to the right, then it, you know, uh, it used an API to send calls to a machine called an Abacus, which was popular back in that, in that time. They're not really used anymore for video playback. But I could tell it there was a bunch of pre-rendered sequences that were uploaded um, by our group. Uh, we have some people doing all that rendering. It was uploaded to the Abacus. And then based on that final tally, it would choose. It would tell the Abacus, play back the right side or the left side. Mm -hmm. And so that, that, was, that was what I was doing initially. <clears throat> and we got to a certain point where that was kind of a fun project to work on, but ultimately Sega said that they were not going to proceed with that project. So then I think it was either at that point that they either started the rally uh, game or it was it had already been started. And then the people were, that were working on this team kind of got broken out and assigned to that, maybe some of them to rally and some of them to other stuff. So I got involved with rally after that point and the next thing I ended up doing was, again, it was software tool development, but um, so uh, so I was in AM3, of course, there were AM2, I think it was like one to seven or eight or something like that, yeah. the AM yeah. amusement departments. Yeah. And uh, <clears throat> they had made a, uh, they had a contract, it was either with Lockheed Martin or Martin Marietta, one of those yep. two. Yep. And they were going to use their hardware boards as like the motherboards in the game, in the, in the you know, the uh, arcade game consoles. So... Uh, so the teams are working on the graphics for uh, for Rally, 
they would see stuff on their IRIX or Silicon Graphics machines. And so one of the one of the things they wanted to be able to do was take all those graphics and be able to preview them on the Silicon Graphics machines, but to see what they would look like when they're playing back on the Lockheed Martin hardware. And so I wrote software to do that. Um, so that was like, that was actually kind of like what I was technically working on while working on Sega. The yeah. whole thing with the voices that we will get into was was something completely separate from what I was actually doing there and hired to do, obviously. Um, and then they, they also used the same software to kind of pre-visualize stuff on the actual hardware for some of the other games that they're working on and other ones that would come up. I think like that Virtual On game was mm -hmm. another one that they used that on. Um, yeah. And then they also had some 2D games they were working on. I remember there was one called Puyo Puyo. But I don't. It wasn't used for that because that was all 2D graphics. But this was all for the, the like the relative the new 3D stuff where you had kind of automated cameras moving about in 3D, and a lot of that kind of technology was also being developed in AM2 where they were just Virtual Fighter had just come out. So the day I started at Sega, um, I think it came out like within a week after I started there, and they had one of the the units down in the lobby. So after this, after the company closed for the day, all these people would like. Uh, you know just like go down to the first floor and just like crowd in on this one virtual fighter game and they'd have all these competitions before wow. like just before it came out in the arcade so that was a lot of fun to do too but but that's actually what i was technically working on in am3 and then after that even i ended up uh working on a program that was like very early on to try to do some form of facial animation so again it was all in in 3d and i remember creating like some very simple like line segments that would be correlate to the mouth and the eyes mainly and maybe to the cheekbones and then you could animate those and then that would get then applied to a mesh like for sonic or something that would then try to it would basically through weighted vertices and whatnot it would move the vertices of the of the mesh in this case like the face so they had me work on other kind of projects i don't know how far that ever got to be used for anything but they were kind of like you know experimental projects to see what could be done in this burgeoning you know, arena of computer graphics. So. Wow. So, yeah, it's funny how the voice aspect of it was completely separate for all these other things, which were like just doing all of these tasks to help Sega with, I mean, as you say, um, translating from like the, uh, the Lockheed Martin board to your Silicon Graphics workstations, like that was mm -hmm. done mostly for Rally, but then that ended up being used across the company. And yeah, it, it sounds like it was really a time where like you came in with a certain role, but your talents and anything you wanted to work on or or where, you know, people thought like, hey, you know, we can put Ken on this or, or any employee like there was a lot of autonomy. That's what it sounds like anyway. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. In reality, I don't know how much autonomy there really was, but in my area, <laughs> there seemed to be, you know, because Japanese are fairly. Uh, uh, what's a good word for it? Um, they really follow the marching orders, you know, you, you okay, don't really sure. move very far outside of, of, of the norm. So, uh, but it, I think in general, a company like Sega, unlike other Japanese companies that I would like that other one I worked at beforehand, I had to wear a suit every day. It's Sega, mm -hmm. you know, I was, I was dressed like this and like, I've, I've ended up being dressed the rest of my career in visual effects. Um, so there was that, it was obviously, it was somewhat different from a traditional Japanese work culture. So there probably was some of that, what you're mentioning. But that reminds me of something else, and that is that, again, my real kind of intent was to get into Sega and then, um, you know, be able to to do some visual effects of some sort, some computer graphics. I mean, this is before it was be, being called visual effects. 
And another like piece of the puzzle <clears throat> was that while I was working at the previous company doing the Macintosh software development, my mother, every once in a while, she would send me like newspaper clippings from the States. And one of them, uh, what was an interview with, uh, with somebody that was at ILM at the time and had done some previs with CG for Jurassic Park for the uh, raptors and dinosaurs in Jurassic Park. So this is a guy named, uh, his name was Steve Williams. His nickname was Spaz. And actually, I never met him, but he used to work at the company I worked at after Sega. So we both kind of came out of the, of the same company uh, yeah. in, in some fashion. But that was the first time I ever saw in the article it mentioned the name of the, soft, the computer graphics software that he used to do the dinosaurs. It was called Soft Image. And so, uh, I, you know, I kind of forgot to mention that when I met Mizuki-san and Uryu-san at the wedding, one of the things they mentioned was that they use a software called Soft Image for for uh, for the graphics, and that's yeah. really what made me think, okay, I got to go see this, and I got to try pro probably to get in there because this is the software that's being used on the films that I eventually want to get into doing. Um, and so <clears throat> that was another big thing for me. Again, like uh, in my own time. Uh, because I had access to that software and the reason I had access to it is because Sega was at the time the world's like uh, largest client of Softimage. So they basically had a site license wow. to use the software. It wasn't node lock like, you know, like uh, it, in a lot of cases. And the other nice thing about it was I remember this, I always have this kind of etched in my memory. You know, I wanted to go, I got to get the manuals because not only do I want to learn how to do the graphics with it, but I want to learn how to use their APIs to do, you know, to do stuff to develop new tools for it and whatnot. And uh, so uh, I remember going into the hallway and the hallway, you know, I don't know, it's, it's quite a large floor. There were just stacks and stacks of these blue boxes of like three or four blue three ring binder manual sets for a soft image. So basically, uh, and, they, and in one room they had, I don't know how familiar you are with the Silicon Graphics machines, but there was one that was made at one point, it was a little bit smaller and more streamlined. It was very thin called the Indy. Okay. And uh, it was kind of like a cyanish color where other machines like the Indigo and other ones were much bigger and, and bulkier. And they had like, it was almost like a render farm. You open one room and there were stacks <laughs> and stacks with no monitors connected, just stacks and stacks of these Indies. It's like the most expensive machines you could imagine at the time. And they just had tons of them all over the <laughs> yeah. place. But anyway, so I, this wall of manual sets, oh my God, okay. They're all the English, original English manuals. And I said, okay, uh, I'm just gonna pick one of these. I remember thinking like, eeny, meeny, miny, mo, whatever. I'll take that one. And so, uh, <laughs> and the reason they had them all stacked in, in the hallway, and the reason that the software was so prevalent at not only at Sega, but other companies were using it is because there was a, um, a retailer in Japan that had taken it upon themselves, or a reseller actually, I should say, not a reseller. Um, they're taking upon themselves to translate all the manuals into Japanese. So it made it a lot more accessible for the Japanese to use it and, you know, lent to its popularity uh, and its inroads there. So, uh, so then I, again, in my own time, I started playing around learning how to create like simple polygon models and doing texturing and animating, creating cameras, doing all this kind of stuff. And also um, they did have a need to, to create some tools to do some data extraction from the graphics that there were there was a uh, a few people in our group itself that were dedicated to to doing the graphics. They were already had some years of experience uh, creating the CG, and now with the Softimage software, so I was helping them to create tools to export stuff that they had created and and, and various kind of um, uh, you know tools for that purposes like that. And um, but they, after they saw me do a, uh, you know a certain amount of stuff, then uh, they said, well, okay. 
maybe you can help us do some of the graphics for some of the TV commercials and um, and more than the TV commercials, they were opening a uh, an amusement park or a set of amusement parks called Joypolis. Yes. And this was at the beginning. They hadn't been open yet. They were just starting. I remember even they had a logo design contest for the employees of the company. I remember being there on a weekend with another friend of mine brainstorming on logos. And I submitted a, at least one. The other guy submitted a few. Ours didn't get selected, but uh, but it was fun to, to submit that anyway. But uh, for each of the rides, they would have like uh, like the instructions and the warnings, all that kind of stuff. So when people are waiting in line for the ride, there'd be a TV monitor and be playing back these graphics. So I remember I did some of the graphics for some of those presentations that would just play on you know on loop. Uh, so that was great. So that was a, um, I finally got to get my hands on you know computer graphic software and actually made some stuff. And because we had that abacus and whatnot, I was able to take what I rendered, move it onto there, and from there I could get it onto onto videotape. Um, and even my DAT tape at the time is what we used for backup. So I still have all these DAT tapes now that it's very difficult to use. Luckily, Lucasfilm has a room full of these tapes as well. And they said, yeah, maybe on an off, off hours, you could use it to get your data back <laughs> off. <laughs> but yeah, so that was another huge component of it for me was the uh, the access to the software called Soft Image, which was actually being used in Hollywood at ILM on the movies that I want to end up working on. Uh, and uh, And they just had so many copies of it at the office. And not only that, but um, I don't know, maybe half a year or so after I started at Sega, or uh, maybe even a year or so, they had a group of people come over from Softimage in, in uh, Montreal to do some dedicated software development. And one of those guys was one of the founders of the company. Um, and uh, he was a little bit rough around the edges to start, and it took, took a while to kind of break him in. And the other, I remember one of the other guys that I really quickly became good friends with, he's like, oh, I'm so sorry. He's thinking but you know, after a little bit of time, he kind of opened up, and then we were we were good, all of us. But it was really fun hanging out with uh, with those guys, you know, because they didn't speak any Japanese. We were kind of helping my, myself and a couple other friends that were already at Sega, and we go out to dinners together, and you know, on the weekends get together and do stuff. Um, and uh, they taught me a lot, you know, on the programming side and whatnot, because these were like the core programmers at that company. And it ended up that I think they were there for about somewhere between three and five months, maybe something like that. And uh, the efforts of all their work ended up being, I think, turned into another module for the Softimage 3D product because they had a bunch like at the top. I think at the top of the screen, you could click and switch between the, the screens to have like different dedicated tools. And so they ended up adding to that one called the games module, I think. But it was all based on work they were doing while they were kind of in-house there at Sega. Wow. Yeah, it's it's interesting how at this time, you know, ILM has come up a lot in this and and amusement parks and uh, rides and things like this. It was all sort of connected. Um, I, I talked yeah. to an individual once who actually started on, uh, he had worked on Star Tours and ended up working okay. for uh, Martin Marietta. And then and out huh. of that came the whole contract with Sega and knew Yu Suzuki very well. And it's just oh, funny okay. how like, huh. yeah, it's this just like out of, sort of this um this environment of just creating new new forms of entertainment and stuff video games yeah. um all comes from like you know because even that that martin marietta marietta technology like goes back to like um sort of aerospace simulations and stuff like yeah, that and it's it a fascinating history yeah. yeah 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 it was interesting how it kind of all came together there um but it's it's funny you mentioned yu suzuki because he was the head of am2 you know sure. as opposed to am3 and this other really good friend of mine uh, named Jeff, who I'll tell you a little bit more about when we get to the actual voice discussion. Um, but I just mentioned the guys from Softimage. So the, the, the lead, the, one of the co-founders of it, is, his name was Laurent. 
and he had bought um, some uh, samurai armor while he was there, and uh, he wanted to take a picture of it, but he was it was a little bit too small for him to fit into. I mean, he wasn't like a big guy or something, but just the armor is a little bit too small for him. So it fit me, and he said, "Hey, can you can you wear the armor so I can take a picture of it?" And I said, "Sure, I'll do that." And so I remember doing that, but then because they. Um, he was also helping out, I guess, uh, AM2 a little bit or something. But anyway, and this other friend of mine, Jeff, you know, he knew Yu Suzuki much better because he was working on the virtual fighter stuff with him. And anyway, so we ended up taking a picture where he also bought a sword, the samurai sword. And so I have the whole armor on and the sword, and I sneak up behind uh, Yu Suzuki. And <laughs> I think my friend Jeff probably like, he used to make like animal sounds to scare the crap out of people around. He'd sneak up on him in the company and do that. And I, I can't make those kind of sounds, but he's he's really good at that. He'd scare the crap out of people. They jump, you know. So he did that, and Yuzuki kind of turned around. But I think he didn't jump as much. But then he kind of just had a big smile on his face, and we got the shot. So there's this picture of me like this with a sword like, oh, near wow. the neck of Yuzuki. That's amazing. <laughs> that's that's uh, an incredible picture. Yeah, hang that up on the wall. <laughs> yeah, maybe I can find it and share it with you guys later. Yeah, that'd be really cool. Um, there's actually a point I was going to bring up, Ken. Um, obviously, you talked a bit about Star Tours and, and all, all that mm -hmm. side of things. In your production history, I can see that you got a special thanks credit on Star Wars Arcade as well. In oh, yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I mean, yeah. I think it's maybe a good point to perhaps bring that up, maybe a little bit of story about what that was actually for specifically, because sometimes those credits can be a bit vague, and I'm sure there's some yeah. people out there that probably find it interesting why your name would be in there as well. Yeah, I had completely forgotten about that. But again, <laughs> I think when that Homer video came up and whatnot, I started kind of getting interested in, in the whole Sega history again. So I started looking around and there's one or two different websites that kind of chronicle all the credits for people there in uh, in Sega that had worked there. And I found also these other friends of mine, I looked their names up, sure enough, they're, they're credited in there. And I had looked at my name when I said, oh yeah, Rally, I'm like, oh, Star Wars, I, I completely forgot about that. Uh, and yeah, that I was in the special thanks. I, and then I forgot that I that they had even mentioned me in the game. And I thought, that's really, that is bizarre because my whole point or the whole kind of journey of my career, I was trying to eventually work at ILM, which I still haven't actually technically worked at ILM. Even now I'm at Lucasfilm Animation, but we're kind of sisters, companies in the same sure. buildings. Yeah. Uh, but I did, as you can see in the back here, I did work on uh, episode seven, Force Awakens. And yeah. I thought, I finally got my name in a Star Wars movie, <laughs> or at least a, in the Star Wars franchise. And then when I yeah. saw that thing, I said, oh, that is so weird. I actually got my original Star Wars later credit all the way back at the time that I worked in Sega. <laughs> but basically when I first started there, um, they were already working on the Star Wars game. And I think it was like a Death Star Trench type of game where you're flying an X-Wing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I can I can clearly see that the, the face of the guy who was the head of that project, I cannot remember his name. I remember he had glasses. He was very excitable and and uh, <laughs> fun guy to chat with. But I think they gave me the, the, uh, the credit in there because they needed help with communicating with Lucasfilm at the time uh, in English. And so I think I ended up, you know, helping to facilitate that and probably wrote some emails or letters or whatever it was at the time uh, and helped translate some stuff for them. And I, I remember that that guy who was the lead on the project and one or two other uh, people that were working on it, they were going to go, they were going to fly them out for a meeting at Lucasfilm. And I remember trying to convince them, is there any way I can go with you? <laughs> oh, wow. Because <laughs> that was my dream was to get there, you know. Yeah, and it didn't didn't work out. They didn't send me, but uh, but yeah, he got that was there my, eventually. 
<laughs> I got there eventually, yeah. But that was my involvement. That that was probably why I was given yeah. that credit, which I had completely forgotten about until you know more recently. Yeah, that's pretty funny then. So you actually achieved one of your goals way earlier and ahead of schedule than you would have imagined. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The other thing I remember now, um, at some point while I was living in Japan, I was there for six years in total in the 90s. And at some point in the early part of that, probably before I got to Sega even, um, and maybe well, it was while I was teaching English, I went to a movie theater and watched, uh, it, was, it was like a, some movie based on Gundam or something, probably, I think it was Gundam, maybe something like that. Anyway, there was a part in there where the music sounded a lot like the Imperial March. And I thought, wow, that that cannot be coincidence. Somebody's basically copying the Imperial March here. <laughs> and so somehow I had, I figured, you know, I, I'm going to I'm going to let Lucasfilm know about this. And I forgot if I wrote them a letter or what, but they uh, I must have been a letter or maybe an email by that point. I can't remember. But anyway, they actually got back to me, like really thanking me for for letting them know about that. I have no idea whatever came of that, hmm. but uh and, uh, and who knows what happened to that composer? Probably nothing. But um, uh, but anyway, that I, I remember that was another point at which I had made some form of contact with Lucasfilm. Interesting. So along the way to, to where you ultimately ended up, there were always those little seeds of engagement. And yeah, yeah. It, it's crazy to see that, actually. And um, it's funny. So the special thanks credit then, did you actually know it was in the game before this wiki? Or was it like when you found like one of these Wikipedia you know, entries? I, I, prob I probably knew about it at the time. I probably yeah. saw it or they showed it to me, but I had just completely forgotten about it. I, I completely <laughs> forgot they, there was a Star Wars game being worked on in the AM3 even until, you know, relatively recently that looking at that website reminded me of it. Well, it was interesting because that one was exclusive to arcades, I believe. And then yeah. eventually there there were a bunch of Star Wars games happening on PC and there were a couple on N64 yeah. and then had a big resurgence when Episode 1 came out and stuff. But yeah, yeah, I've seen that cabinet in the wild from time to time. It's You don't come across it very often, obviously, anymore, but it was it was a pretty striking right. machine. Yeah. Yeah. When I worked there at AM3, I mean, they only worked on the, the big arcade games that they weren't working on Saturn or Dreamcast or any of that stuff, whatever existed at the time. Because I know they did port like Rally and other, other games to the home game system yeah. uh, when, when it came out. From what I understand, the way it usually worked was you had AM2 or AM3 working on the arcade original title, you know, mm -hmm. the source material, and then you would maybe have AM4 or AM Annex was, I think, one of the studios that would deal with the you know bringing that to saturn or or mm. whatever but y you would yeah, probably know better than exactly. i would <laughs> yeah not really yeah. uh um but i think annex was what mizuchi-san went on to make after yeah. Yeah. am3 before he made his own companies yeah yeah so a lot of a lot of things moving around and in the middle of all of this you you're asked to provide the voice for a co-driver uh in the racing game so how did that happen yeah uh, again, I, I can't, I'm a little fuzzy in all the details, but basically, um, there came a point where they needed to record the, the dialogue or the lines for the game and they needed somebody to do the voice of the navigator. And so I forgot if they like just asked people who spoke English natively, if they just went around all of us, but somehow they let us know that if you're interested, you know, come down to the sound department and we'll record the lines. So of course I was interested to, to do it. And I think originally it was meant to be more as a temporary uh, temporary voices because I think they were going to hire actual voice talent to do the the real ones. 
And myself, I did it. And a friend of mine, Jeff, I remember he recorded lines. I can't remember how many other native English speakers there recorded as well. But I remember them letting me know that they were actually going to use my voice as a game. And I, I, I think I thought, well, uh, really? And I thought, wow, that's pretty cool. Um, so, uh, so not only that, but then they had to um, populate like people standing, like, you know, spectators watching the race. And so they took all the people in our department, we went up to the roof of the building. This was the old uh, Sega headquarters in Japan. We went up to the roof and they took pictures yeah. of us. And I remember I was wearing, I had a striped shirt on. And so they took all the pictures. And so all the people from the department or a number of them are the ones that are all standing on the sides on like yeah. on 2D cards, I think, in the game. Yeah. Wow. So, and I think we, I think we do something like this or whatever. I forget now. I'm, I'm, um, I'm going to look for you uh, after, after this. <laughs> find you yeah. I think I had a striped shirt. Um, but yeah, so what, so it ended up, they let me know that they were going to use my voice for it. And I, I couldn't help but think, well, that's great. Uh, this this is awesome. I never imagined this happening, but I was just wondering how much you had to do with the fact, well, you know what? That's kind of good enough. And then we don't have to spend money on an actual voice talent because we're already paying him as a regular employee. So who, who knows what the thinking was behind it? But um, so I do all the voices in the game, including the like when the game is idling and it announces the name of the game. But there is one one line that's done by that friend of mine, Jeff, and it's the one in the beginning when you first start the game and it's the countdown, three, two, one, go. That's actually my friend Jeff, oh. and the rest of it is me. Yeah. So that's yeah. interesting. I didn't I, never think it was a different voice. <laughs> yeah, so that actually oh, yeah. brings up. I, I have a couple questions because in the Saturn version, there were little sort of uh, voiceover interludes, like before okay. replays and stuff like that. Like some of them are pretty funny. Like one of them's a guy saying, "Like who taught you how to drive?" Um, mm. That's not you, I take it. I, not that I remember. No. Okay. It's it's yeah. it's funny because the voices are they're all a little bit different, but then mm -hmm. the sound quality back then was so grainy that's like, well, it yeah, have all been done by one person. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it seems to me they had us do a bunch of outtakes of stuff, mm. um, but again, I'm a bit fuzzy on the memory of it. Um, so it could have been one of those, and it could have been one of those that that friend of mine Jeff recorded, or one of the other people that were there recorded, and I don't know how much after the after rally came out that that was done or released so they may have had other people after that and um so i i, I mentioned i lived in japan for six years and after sega i ended up leaving and going to work for a company that was main the main competition for that soft image company so it was another uh, company that developed 3d graphics animation soft you know animation rendering software called alias um and so i ended up working there for another year and a half and at that point i decided to return to the states and so before I returned, I wanted to kind of go and do the rounds and see everybody that I was friends with and whatnot. And I hadn't seen Mizuchi sound for a little while at that point. But I made plans to go back to Sega and uh, and see him there. And uh, he said, oh, uh, like you're going back to the States. He said, we're actually going to, we decided we're going to make a Rally 2 game. And we were going to approach you to see if you'd be willing to do the voice for Rally 2. And I said, oh, that'd be awesome. But when are you doing that? He goes, well, not until like some, it was some amount of time after I had already made plans to return. So unfortunately, sure. I didn't get to do the voice for that one or any subsequent games. Yeah. Ah, so that's interesting because one of the, the key things I was always curious about was if you were approached perhaps to do Sega Rally 2. And it's it's great to hear that you did get approached because like I we were talking about at the very start of the podcast, um, mm -hmm. Feel as if the audio design is so key to what makes Sega Rally good. So, 
when yeah. that co-driver was changed, I, like I think I wouldn't be overstating it by saying immediately everybody would have been a bit jarred, like, well, who, who's this guy? Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, that's nice to hear, yeah. Uh, just different, you know, I'm sure people then, certain people started with that game when that's what they knew, so. It's yeah. funny, it's like when I talk to people about Star Wars, you know, I was nine years old when the first movie came out, so I was kind of there in the theaters as a kid, and now we have people working at Lucasfilm that are probably half my age, and like, <laughs> They started with uh, Attack of the Clones was like the first film right. they saw in the theater. I'm like, uh, that is so strange. <laughs> that's their favorite <laughs> film in this in the in the series because that's the first one they saw in the theater. Sure. And they may have seen others at home, you know, on, at this point. Well, probably on maybe DVD at that point uh, before streaming became popular. But it's just it's interesting how I work with people, you know, even less than half my age at this point. That you know, for them, Star Wars is the Clone Wars animated series. That's that's really the core of Star Wars for them because that's where they started. And then they're in the department, like our department is headed by Dave Filoni. And so he was the creator of, uh, of the Clone Wars series and Rebels and other things that the department worked, has worked on. And so they were huge fans of his and now they're working for him. So it's kind of fun. Uh, it'd be wow. like me working for George Lucas, you know? <laughs> the culture is cyclical. He's out of the picture at this point, I guess. Uh, <laughs> So, so wow. So just going back, like Mizuguchi, so you had moved on from Sega, but he still went out of his way to see if you'd be interested in, in recording for the second game, even though you were no longer at the company. Or would this have yeah. brought you well, back like to the company? No, it was just a bend to record the lines, I oh, okay. think. Because um, he still, already knew I awesome. was pretty happy with what I was doing after that. And I think by that point, I don't know, probably in his own mind, he was making plans to move on or make his own department or something. Um, but he didn't necessarily... Like, come find me just so it happens that I went to say, Hey, you know, kind of goodbye. I'm going to end up leaving Japan. At which point he told, he told me that they were going to come in and ask me to do that. But gotcha. unfortunately the timing didn't, didn't work out. Yeah. Going through your uh, other credits, I see you, you also contributed to Manx TT Superbike, uh, which is another great racing game. I, I mean, that's, that's what the Moby game says anyway. I don't, I don't know. You can confirm that. Yeah, that one. <laughs> Uh, I honestly, I don't even remember about that. Game. I remember them working on it, but I don't, I don't remember yeah. if I ended up contributing anything to it. The other main one I did contribute to was the uh, Virtua Cop game. That's the yeah. main other one. And that one was kind of because that was AM2. So sure. I guess because of the, the success of Rally, they said, oh, maybe we can get the, the same guy to do the voice, do a voice in, uh, for us in, uh, in um, the AM2 game. And so the main thing I remember about that, I played the voice of the innocent. So there were these people, they were just white, you know, and they were going like this, you know, help yeah. me, don't shoot me, this kind yep. of stuff. So that, that was me doing that. Some very simple lines. <laughs> but the thing about it, just like when Rally came out, like like the kind of pinnacle of all of that was just like on in the first few days of the release, if you went to an arcade, because it's the new game, they would have, I don't know, 10, 15 of them all lined up next to each other as the new release. And I, it seems to me they were all synchronized in how they when they're idling, and they say stuff. Or when people are playing, and you, basically it was it was just a real surreal experience to hear my own voice, <laughs> um, and especially with that with, with the, um, uh, I think it was with uh, uh, Virtua Cop that had come out sometime around Halloween, and I remember being with a friend, another American friend of mine from Sega. We were out, and I think it was in Roppongi area. We were going to have a nice night of fun, and before we got started, we as soon as we got out of the out of the station there, we were going to eat something first uh, and then go have some drinks. But we went to the Sega arcade and I remember, oh, yeah, because it was 
there was something to do with Halloween because we we went into the bathrooms in the arcade to put on some costumes. I think I was Dracula or something. So I just put on a cape and some makeup, or whatever. <laughs> but I remember going up the escalator to get the second story, uh, story and that's where they had all, all the uh, virtual cop games, and I could just hear myself at like top volume. I was like, "This is so surreal," you know. <laughs> Here I come in for Halloween to change, and I'm just hearing like this whole collection of hearing games. your voice. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, 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 I specifically remember because I try to tell myself, remember this point in your life. Yeah, it's pro it'll probably never happen again. You know. <laughs> <laughs> I used to do that. I think just try and remember this moment, whatever it was. You know, like being alone in the rain in Japan somewhere, or something else. Like this is like this is a moment in life. You know? Yeah. Does it get harder when there are so many moments? <laughs> <laughs> uh, there have been a number of moments now, yeah. and I kind of stopped doing that. But I, I just remember I told myself I, I need to be able to remember these particular things, you know. Sure. Yeah, and that, those were some of them. Other things were, you know, yeah, I don't know, with the girlfriend or the last time I, I'd go through a station or something like that. You know? When was the uh, just that curiosity? Uh, do you make trips to Japan? I know in recent years it's it's been tough, obviously, with everything going on to the world. But have you been back at all? Yeah, so I came back to the States in 97, and I, I would go back on average every couple of years to visit friends there. I think the first time I went back was only a year after, and it was for a friend's wedding, and that was a lot of fun. And that was from another guy uh, from Sega. Uh, he was he was actually, um, he was Chinese-Japanese, it was interesting. So he, he only spoke, uh, spoke Japanese, he didn't, he spoke some English too, kind of rough, but still, he, he loved American culture and music and all that. But he didn't speak any Chinese. But anyway, he went back to his wedding. And then every couple of years after, I go back and visit friends. And then I kind of, the number of years between got longer and longer until I eventually ran out of miles on, on the airlines and I just kind of stopped going. <laughs> but when, after Sega, when I went to work for this other company, it was called Alias Wayfront. And I don't know if you're familiar with that name or. So Soft Image was like the, the premier animation software at the time. But this company, Alias, they, they had a product called Power Animator, which was they were trying to. It was the competition, and they're trying to get that more prevalent. So they tried to help me to get set to uh, get Sega to buy it, some licenses of that and to start using that because it had some features that Softimage didn't have. One of the main ones that was a lot of interest to me was particles, and in, mm. and eventually I went into doing effects animation in in, in VFX, and that's all like particle simulations and stuff. So um, they gave me uh, I I kind of befriended the the person who was the rep from that company, the kind of sales engineer. And he gave me some free copies to use and try to get other people interested. I ended up creating some little demos and got them interested. I think they did buy a few licenses of it. And then that guy said, uh, hey, he wanted to meet me for dinner somewhere in Tokyo. So I went to meet him and basically said, hey, uh, would you come join us? We're trying to expand the office and presence here in Asia. And so, again, it was about the right time for me to leave Sega. And uh, then I could negotiate my salary and do other things we would normally do with Western companies. Yeah. And um, so I, I left Sega to go and do that. Uh, and then had a great a great time there uh got involved in a lot of business travel which is fun all throughout asia and then back to north america like monthly almost the uh, the head company was silicon graphics they had bought two companies alias and wayfront they were both making kind of competitive products and they merged them so i joined right at the time that they merged and so the uh the headquarters of sgi or silicon graphics was in mountain view california so we'd come back there like i said almost monthly and then the headquarters of Alias, which was kind of the headquarters of Alias Wayfront, um, the subsidiary was in Toronto. So then I'd go to Toronto quite often as well. And we do like worldwide field meetings, which are a lot of fun. They give us all these trainings. 
So um, they, they created the software Maya, which has kind of since been one of the premier animation packages. So I was, I joined them when Maya was in beta and we were, they were training us on how to use it, how to demo it. I became a, uh, an application engineer was their term for it. So I was a kind of a demo jockey for Maya uh, and power animator before that. Um, but, but that, that was a lot of fun too. Um, but I, I, I forgot what my original point was. Kind of funny, you start remembering all these things and get off on these tangents. <laughs> uh, but it was actually, it was through Alias Wavefront that I re eventually returned to the States uh, in 97. They basically treated me as an expat. And um, based on a few things, including a situation with a girlfriend that didn't work out in the end, and the fact that I needed to get back to the States eventually to get my financial situations, you know, properly started, because that didn't work the same way in Japan. Um, uh, and wanting to pursue this career in visual effects, uh, I decided okay, now is the time. They had an opening, and actually this is kind of games related. So um, I ended up, while I was in Japan working for Alias Wavefront, the, the predominant industry was the games industry. So almost all the demos we were doing were primarily for games companies. And then some companies doing TV commercials really, but not really any major company. There was nothing really like ILM or Rhythm and Hughes, that kind of thing there. So <clears throat> an opening, came up in the San Francisco field office of Alias Wayfront. And when we had our worldwide field meeting, I, I learned about that opening. And so I talked to the head of that office and he said, hey, yeah, it'd be great to have you if you wanted to, you know, take the job, it's a lot easier for us to hire you, especially with your experience having worked in the games field in Japan to fill a games, uh, a games related application engineering position back in San Francisco. Um, then for us to go and have the, the, the whole hiring and interview process for, for external applicants. So I, I did that. It was basically, a, it was just like very easy for me to, to jump into that. So I made the decision to come back to the States. And it, the funny thing was, I remember the, uh, the guy who had the role before me, who ended up leaving was named Rob Titus. I don't know if you've heard that name before. He worked at, um, uh, he, he left to go work at uh, Naughty Dog. Oh, and so, okay. That's where I first heard of Naughty Dogs. This is back again, you know, 97. And so basically he left and within a couple of months, I, I just ended up moving into that position. And so in the, in the alias office, they had three application engineers and the three of us are in pretty good friends since then as well, especially one of the two I see a lot more often because the third one went back to Brazil. Um, but, uh, I was the, the games, uh, AE application engineer and then uh the other friend of mine was for film and video and the third guy from brazil was covered in industrial design because the the core the core software product they had another version of it they had maya for entertainment and they had something called studio for uh for industrial design but it it used all the the, the original nerves technology for all these products just out of curiosity when you were um when you were recording the dialogue uh because mm -hmm. you said that you didn't know they were just kind of doing it as a test uh, for the go and then it ended up being what was in the final game. Um, yeah. Was there any sort of direction like play it up or beat or was it just like you just did a w one take because... Uh, yeah, again, it's hard to remember all the details, but I'm pretty sure that they, they wanted like more and more uh, like energy in it. Because mm. you know? yeah. when, when I talk normally, I'm not talking like this, and I'm like talking at that top of my voice. And yeah. it was, I, I think they, I think I had to do a few takes of things that they wanted more and more energy into it. Gotcha. I seem to remember that. It's uh, pretty energetic. Just because that's that's not the word, the way I normally speak. So, and it's kind of funny because when I have gone back to listen based on these things that have come up, 
like, wow, my voice sounds really high. So I, was like, I don't know, it was just that was in my 20s versus now I'm in my mid 50s. You know, how much your voice changes over the years. But yeah, I was going to say you do you do sound a little bit different, but the, it has been through the years. And also, you know, you were they were telling you the sound like you were, you know, going through the air at 70 miles yeah. per hour. So, yeah. you know, it's exactly. not the way that anyone yeah. usually talks. <laughs> <laughs> nope. Ken, are, do you remember any of the lines pretty vividly? Like, is there any specific lines that for some reason stand out in your head or did you have well, to the... listen to them all again to, to get a vibe for it? Uh... Yeah, I didn't remember all the things I had said, but I mean, the easiest one I remember is when I say, you know, finish at the end of the, <laughs> the, the thing, because that was kind of like, all right, you did it. So that that's the shortest, easiest one I remember. I remember there's a lot of ones I had to say, which was had a left and right and maybe. And I was thinking, is that really, is that the way these navigators, that's what they say? And I, I guess they researched it and that must be it. I, well, I have no background the... in it rally racing myself so yeah yeah i mean the funny thing is i always remember like there was genuine discussions like between family members and stuff between if you were saying baby or maybe yeah. <laughs> so oh, it's like people yeah. really thought that you might have been saying baby for that energy part you're talking about like easy left oh baby. right like that that sort yeah, of thing yeah. um i don't, I don't I know if a navigator would tell the driver baby you know unless they're, unless <laughs> yeah. they're they got a yeah, thing going yeah. for each other i think it's like just because of the energy the kind of that 90s energy to the game and the, yeah. kind of the, the very jazzy music and stuff it was um it, it appeared to be a common misconception adam i don't know if maybe you yeah, encountered as well <laughs> i hadn't thought of that because i knew the original word but i can see because even like you know when you listen to music and you hear lyrics sometimes it, it sounds to you like they're saying something completely different and you've thought that yeah. for so many years and all of a sudden you see it in like a karaoke or something like oh, what <laughs> i didn't know they were saying that <laughs> yeah yeah, I remember the um, one, I might have thought it was Baby, but I remember when I was a kid, the one that always stuck in my head is when you would go the wrong way, and you'd say, turn yeah. around, and it was very, <laughs> oh, right, right. it was very alarming, and then I just picture, like, was there ever a moment, I'm assuming not, because it would have come up, but you were in an arcade, and somebody was playing Sega Rally, and you just said, turn around, and you were there. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I, I, I do remember this one, one thing that was, I mean, for me, it was, it was interesting because I, I just briefly hinted, I was in this pretty serious relationship for the last three years that I was in Japan. So about half the time I was there. And uh, in the beginning of that time, she was dating another guy already and then I met her and you know, eventually things happened. And then, you know, things were being tapered off with that, her previous boyfriend. But it was funny that she told me at one point that, because um, this was right, right around the time I, I was doing the rally stuff that I met her. And she, I, I told her that I, did the voice for the, this is what I'm working on. Actually, my, my voice name, she goes, Oh no, no, she goes, his, her boyfriend loved the game. Oh. And so I'm sure that's oh. why I can just imagine if you were there yeah. and I said, turn around, Oh no, walk, walk away, <laughs> turn around, walk away and turn around. Uh, voice will never run here. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, but that, yeah. um, something you mentioned a moment ago reminded me that, um, one of the other things that was really cool that came out of the rally game experience was that uh, it did become popular enough that they wanted to release an album of the music from the game. And I don't remember the name of the group. Maybe you, you guys have researched, maybe you know it, but there was some kind of somewhat popular rock band at the time. I remember Mizuguchi-san was telling me that they were pretty well known and they were going to hire them to, to, to redo all the, the main music pieces from the, from the game. But they, they were going to make a new kind of title track song and they needed lyrics for it and would i be willing to write the lyrics for that yeah wow okay. so 
So of course I was like more than happy to do that. So it seems to me he mentioned this like toward the end of a week. Cause I remember he said, uh, spend the weekend doing it and come meet me at the company like Sunday, like late afternoon or something to go over it. And so I think I spent whatever, all of that Saturday and Sunday before going in to see him. And I thought, I, I don't remember all the lines I wrote, but I, I thought to myself, I did a pretty good job because there were going to be so many verses and then had to come up with the chorus. So I really spent time trying to, you know, formulate words. I mean, he gave me maybe there's a few words I could try to incorporate into it, something like that. And so I was really proud of what I did. But, you know, uh, uh, you know, for myself, having lived in Japan, you, you know about Janglish? Uh, yeah. And, you know, yeah, Japanese yeah. usage of English? <clears throat> yeah. All popular Japanese music had some amount of English in it. I yeah. probably still does, but at the time I lived, there's always at least a word or something. And, you know, it rarely ever made sense. And, uh, and, um, even for like names of things on labels and for packaging and whatnot, but mainly in music, you think, okay, it has something to do with the song, but like it really, it never really made any sense. So anyway, so I thought I'd done a really good job with this. Um, I went in to meet Mizu-san, and it, so we start. He starts reviewing it, and we're talking about. It. He's like, "Well, you know, Japanese won't understand this. Can we change this?" And I said, "Well, okay." And by the time we spent like a couple of hours going through it, until he was finally really happy with it, and thought this is this is something that could sell or whatever. I remember looking at it, reading like, "Okay, now I know what happened." You know? Yeah. <laughs> That's so um, interesting because I, yeah. I had actually seen that you would come up on some website looked at as a credit for i believe the song you're talking about right is my dear friend rally i That's think it, is yeah, the name of it yeah, yeah. That the lyrics to that song always struck me as odd, but not not in an especially <laughs> unusual way for video games in the nineties. Yeah. Lots of yeah. which were developed in Japan by people who were native English speakers. It's whatever. It's a good yeah. song. Um, but this this does explain so much. Uh I, yeah. I would love to know what the original lyrics were, but yeah, I, same. I yeah, I, I, you know it's too bad I didn't save, you know. This would have yeah. been all written on paper at the time. Sure. You know, who knows whatever happened to that. But somebody did ask me online, like, kind of like what you were saying, uh, Brendan, about um, thinking I had said baby instead of maybe. Somebody else said, oh, you know, I always thought you were saying this. I never knew exactly what they were saying. But I said, I thought to myself, well, you know what? I'm pretty sure I got a copy of the CD, and I think it had the lyrics on it, the, the ones that they actually used yeah. in the end. And so, again, it was all in kind of storage because I've moved so many times. And so I found it. And the other thing I remember was that Music Houston actually gave me a credit on the CD, which was nice. I had forgotten oh, about that as cool. well. But uh, they um, they said I actually went just in preparation for this. I, I went to pull out because I took that picture. I still have it. So I'm going to bring it up here. So they okay. So the line was um, 
uh, do you feel or feel the heartbeat of the land is the is the main line yeah. and then they were, and to them it was like feel the heartbeat of the sand or something like that, i think is what they thought i was saying so i think once i found that i i remember i posted that for them and they thought i think that they appreciated that so they could figure out what the actual lyrics were and i'd seen you uh you're a musician too as well right so were you working uh, on yeah, musical projects okay but, no, no. For me, it's just a hobby. I have actually made a little bit of money on it a few times when people have hired me to do some stuff. Like, I don't perform live or anything. It's just like a small MIDI home studio. But yeah, but I used to visit the guys in the, uh, in the um, what was it called? Like the sound department, I guess is what they called it, uh, where they did all the music and sound effects and stuff. And that was great because I was really interested in that too. I still am. So anytime that a company has a department like that, I always befriend those people <laughs> and go and chat with them and talk about synths and drum machines and you know, virtual software since all that kind of stuff now. But um, uh, it also reminded me, and when I was doing some research for this uh, interview today, I was spending some time yesterday on it, and I remembered, oh yeah, there was a guy named David Lightsey. He was another American that worked in the sound department there. And he I don't think he worked on Rally. And I, but I think he was part of that B Univ, like music group that was, it was yep. he and a couple of other people from the company. So I don't know if you've heard of, of David's name or not. But anyway, uh, so he and I became friends. We'd go out every once in a while and uh, have some drinks and chat music and whatnot. But he did me this great favor, and that was that, uh, you know, I think I told him um, that I'm going to be heading back to the States. He goes, all right, anytime you want to buy music gear, you talk to my friend Tom Merritt. You give him a call. Here's his number. He's like in Wisconsin. Best prices, no taxes, and you know, blah, blah, blah. He'll always get what you need. He's always treated me well over the years. So, you know, I've been back for what, you know, what is it, like 25 years or something? All the gear I've ever bought and some software as well has, has been through Tom. And that guy recently retired. So now there's a his replacement. I'm actually just recently had a, a back and forth because now that I'm moving back into my childhood home, I'm making the den room in the front. I'm going to turn it into my office, you know, because we're mainly still working from home. But I'm going to set up and buy a nice desk that also accommodates like music production stuff. So like for the keyboard here is only a 61 key, but I might get an 88 key um, MIDI controller. And then they have like the tray that will come out. You can put that in there and pull it out to play and whatnot. Like I've never had that kind of a really nice setup. And now, like this is the time in life I got to spend some money and, and and really treat myself to something. Um, there was just there was a question that actually popped into my head just when we were discussing that. Mm -hmm. there, Ken, um, you may or may not be familiar with the fact that the game over screen in Sega Rally uh, is like infamous for being like heralded as one of the best game over screens ever it's um there's a there's a chorus that says like game over yeah um okay i don't suppose you know who did the dialogue for that perhaps um so it's literally no, a three second clip um we always i always had a feeling it wasn't yourself um and i'm not sure if you actually know anybody who it is but i've never actually been able to track down who the vocalist was for that huh no, i don't know yeah yeah, it Sorry, almost sounds like uh actually it might it might have been Mitsuyoshi. It might have been Takenobu Mitsuyoshi. He right. didn't do a mm. lot of stuff outside AM2 to my knowledge, but every now and then cuz he was just so active in like just Sega, you know, mm. audio all over the place, right? Mm -hmm. So I, I believe it was him, but I might not be correct about that. Yeah. Um I remember chatting with a lot of people in the sound department, but um but I mainly hit it off with David and uh, and I actually, while I was doing this research, I, I, I was trying to remember how to spell his last name. So I would look him up online. I think I finally found him because uh, he told me he used to be an editor at Keyboard Magazine, which I used to collect and read before I moved to Japan. Uh, so I was pretty impressed by that. 
And, um, but I ended up sending him a message and say, Hey, you know, after all these years, I'm, I'm going to be on this interview and it kind of reminded me of all this stuff. I, I remembered, uh, you know, hanging out with you and whatnot. So I, I reached out to him online, sent, sent him an invite and whatnot. So we'll see if he responds to that. It's been so long. You know, I don't know if he remembers who I am or not, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's cool. It sounds like you, you know, you keep in touch with a lot of these people and, and everybody, you know, it's been so long. Everybody's careers have gone in all sorts of different directions, but, but that is genuinely great to hear. Yeah, I do. I do try to do that. Uh, still yeah. in touch with Mizuguchi san pretty sporadically, but you know, we mm -hmm. do talk once in a while. I see him sometimes when he comes to the States. Uh, I actually technically live in San Francisco uh, until the pandemic hit. And then I kind of came back to help family out uh, in large part. And then when the lockdown started, I said, well, I'll just stay down here for a while. My girlfriend's still up in San Francisco. And I might move back up there by the end of the year or some at some point next year once they kind of reopen the office. Um, uh, but yeah, I try, I try to keep in touch with folks. Um, and what was I going to say? something about San Francisco I was going to mention. Um, oh, yeah, the Mizuguchi Center would come sometimes to the Game Developers Conference. Yes. And so I, I'd get together with them there. And speaking of him, th there's another guy. This is kind of a little bit of a side story, but kind of in line with keeping connections and helping other people out and then like, you know, staying in touch with folks down the, down the road. So there was a guy, when I came back to work in Alias Wavefront in San Francisco, we kind of handled the whole uh, Western seaboard of the, of the country. And so I'd go up to, uh, to Washington state as well. And I went to boss games once. Oh yeah. I, I went to help out an artist there with Maya. It's like helping like some demo and, and kind of doing some one-on-one -on -one work with Maya. And uh, I noticed he had all these like Japanese books on his desk, like magazines and books, sci-fi stuff and modeling stuff and whatnot, anime. And I said, oh, you, you're interested in Japan? He goes, oh, yeah, I, I think he said he lived in Osaka for a summer or something like that. And he said, uh, so I started telling him, oh, actually, I lived there. I, I worked here. I worked there. I worked at Sega. He said, oh, you worked at Sega? He goes, did you know Mizuguchi-san? I go, yeah, yeah, he was my boss there. He goes, oh, my God. You got so excited. I remember that. <laughs> but he said, he said like, my dream is to work for Mizuguchi-san in Japan, you know? And I wow. said, well, maybe I can help out with that. So uh, I actually got the two in touch, introduced them, you know, virtually and got them in touch. And I think that they ended up meeting at another GDC or something. This was probably in like 98 or 99, something like that. And then uh, Music Center hired him. So that guy, his name is Jake Kasdahl. He, he went uh, and ended up living in Japan. And I think he ended up living there longer than I did. Then he came back to the States uh, and he was here for a while. And then he moved back and now he has his own games company that's in Kyoto. And so he's been there already for, I don't know, almost 10 years there with his wife and kids. Uh, and so I visited him once there in a trip I made to Japan, maybe like six years ago or something. Um, but I, I've seen him a few times over the years and also at GDC where he was there as well with music. Uh, I mean, they, they don't work together anymore directly, but they kind of, you know, everyone gets together for this kind of yeah. industry party and whatnot. So that's fun. So it's kind of nice to have played, you know, played a part in, uh, in his career and he's done really well for himself. And, He's doing VR games now as well. He came out with one called, uh, what was it called? Smoking, uh, something with the word smoke. He gave me a free copy, which was awesome. And I've only gotten through a certain part in it and I got busy with some other things, but uh, I have the Quest 2 headset. So I, 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 you know, pop that on every once in a while and play around. That's wonderful. Yeah, I know, I know uh, Mizuguchi, like I read in interviews that like working on Sega Rally and then he did, <laughs> Uh, Sega Touring Car Championship and Manx TT with AM3 and mm. then he, he was like I really didn't have much of a desire to continue working on 
racing games or stuff in right. that sort of environment. He was always very motivated, it seemed, by like the audiovisual connection and synesthesia yeah. and all of these things yep. and kind of yeah. making that into like puzzle games, Luminous, mm -hmm. and of course Tetris Effect now. Um, right. And he's, Res he is a, another one. Yeah, Res too, absolutely. Yeah. It's probably That's like what the Jake, foremost. Jake worked on Res with Mizuguchi Sun. Hmm. I think that was the main game they worked on together. But yeah, he was, even when I was at Sega, he was big on um, like, you know, the crossroads of, of audio and visual. So there was all this, always this talk about having visuals respond to audio. And even the other person, Uduyu-san, that I mentioned that I had met together with Mizuyu-san originally, I think he was also kind of interested in that, in, in developing something along those lines. And mm -hmm. great for me, I was always, I mean, I would have loved to join in on that project or that type of a project because of my, my love of audio as well, but uh, didn't happen while I was there. Yeah, it, there are so many projects going on at any one time. I imagine it's like, it, it can be hard to choose, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, wow. So with Sega Rally Championship, did you, uh, like, how much of the final product did you, like, play it in the arcades? Are you, are you very familiar with the game? Is it something that you've, like, appreciated after the fact, you know? Uh. You know, honestly, I didn't really play it much because I'm just not okay. into car racing, to be honest. Gotcha. Um, sure, sure. I played it here and there for fun. I probably played it more in the company than I did actually out <laughs> at arcades. Uh, but it was just definitely fun to have been part of. I remember also chatting a lot with, um, uh, there was a guy named Sasaki was his last name. Kenji and, Sasaki, uh, I think. Kenji, I think, yeah. 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 And, and his girlfriend at the time, I think they got married later. Um, I'm trying to remember her name now. Uh, why am I, I was spacing? But the two of them were closely together. Uh, I think they, I think maybe they were together at another company before Sega uh, as well. But anyway, so he actually introduced me to a software that later on I ended up using in a new incarnation. So are you familiar with the software called Houdini? I've heard of it. No, okay, it's another 3D animation and rendering software package, but it's it's all based on procedural workflows and it's node-based whereas Maya is not really node-based it's kind of uh just object based in the in the scene view um and uh so working on something procedurally I means you can go back in the stack and change anything along the way and everything gets updated from that point down you don't have to you know delete everything you did and start over essentially mm -hmm. so the predecessor to, to um to Houdini was called Prisms and Sasaki-san, he introduced me or he showed me what he was doing to Prisms. They were using it to to uh, to basically generate the racetracks in, uh, in a rally. Oh. And so that way they could go back and just redefine the initial curve and based on that curve, they'll, the, yeah. you know, they'll extrude the curve out. And so yeah. instead of having to rebuild it all from scratch, they could very easily make any changes they needed to, to the racetracks and stuff. So I remember that was really cool to see that was a different kind of um, uh i don't methodology to to uh to modeling and stuff and i was i was used to at that point in soft image then in the alias products and that kind of made a lot of sense to me and then the other guy i think his last name was yamamoto and he was the key software lead on it so he was writing all the game code so because i was a programmer i didn't really know anything about how to program games uh it's all event driven and whatnot but um, so I remember he would kind of show me here and I'd ask him some questions. He would show me bits of the code. So I thought that was, that was fun as well. You know, all these people start to come back to mind, you know, oh yeah, there was Onosan and, uh, yeah. and, uh, I forgot there was, a, there were a few other people in there. 
And then, of course, Luigi Sani became president of the whole company later. I was, uh, yeah, I was going to ask you. Well, Brendan, you you had wanted to ask uh, which of the two cars uh, you <laughs> yeah. prefer because they're the famous the, the famous two cars in the game. There's the Lancia Delta, which is like the hatchback, and then Toyota Celica is the green and red one. You know, yeah, for me, it's like I'm not that into cars, but yeah. <laughs> that's the main fine. the main one that's on like on the shirt is that the that's the Celica. No, I think. That's the Oh, they're both there, yeah, they're but yeah, the silk is in the oh. front, yeah. I'm trying to remember. The white <laughs> one, I guess, I prefer the one that's closer to us. That's the main one I just remember from the advertising. Gotcha. But as yeah. far so as the cars go. themselves, you know, mm. I, I wasn't really into the, that much yeah. into cars, which reminds me that all these years later, I decided I haven't owned a car myself for like the last seven or eight years now. This is because I've lived in places where you can use Uber and Lyft, I can bike to work and that kind of thing. But now in my in my latest current situation, I really need a car again. So I put in a, an order for a, an EV. I think I'm going to get an electric car. Okay. And so I finally decided on uh, the Volkswagen ID4, and I put in my initial nice. uh, order for it. But I'm still sitting here, like probably like two and a half, three months later, and I had <laughs> had only one update, and that's it. I still have no idea when I'm going to get that. So the market is horrible. It's horrible. You put in an yeah. order, and then you're waiting like half a year. Yeah, it's happened to everybody yeah. I know. It's just not the right time for for that. Yeah. Yeah. You had mentioned that uh, you know, you're the friend who worked on uh, AR and VR projects, and I saw that you you do some development of that as well. Is that Lucasfilm or just a hobby thing, or? Uh, yeah, but that that was separate from Lucasfilm. So at Lucasfilm, okay. I work as a I'm a senior uh, pipeline technical director or TD. So I I'm also doing software tools. Like basically, when I my my career after uh alias wavefront i got into into visual effects proper and the first film i worked on was the first shrek animated movie oh, oh cool. so that was my actual first <laughs> film credit so again it was like a nice kind of film to have worked on and then i worked on a number of films that are like parts of different trilogies and franchises mm -hmm. since then and then finally uh after many many years of not having any chance to work on star wars or star trek which i grew up watching both of those the last gig i had in la was working at bad robot and uh, I got to work on episode seven and then Star Trek Beyond back to back at that company. Wow. And uh, oh. so and the other thing is nice, like over the course of working all these companies, when you're done with projects, we would definitely uh, or, or usually get um, posters and have all the other, you know, your coworkers and stuff sign them. Sometimes you could get the director to sign it and whatnot. So I got a bunch of posters in the other room. I'm going to finally put up on these walls here, but I have this one. This is the latest one I got from a few years back and JJ Abrams signed it for me, which was nice because, oh, yeah. uh, you know, it's it was his company. Person. So he's just yeah. around the company, you know, and he was nice enough to, to sign it. That company was awesome. I, you could spend a whole nother podcast just talking about how cool <laughs> working for bad robot was. Um, but yeah, so, uh, yeah, I just wondering what, what else you guys might want to know about Sega. But one, one other thing that I, I do remember is in addition to the folks that came from uh, Soft Dimash to do that proprietary development, there was another company, because we we're just talking about AR and VR and whatnot. I think it was called Virtuality. It was either Virtuosity or Virtuality. They were from England. And they they sent, I think it was three guys came over. And just like the guys from Soft Dimash, they were there for like, I don't know, months, maybe three or four months. Yeah. And um, so, and they, they came to work uh, in AM3 Whereas the soft image guys, they were actually came when they were stationed in AM2, but I would kind of interface with them. Hmm. So <clears throat> one of the three guys that came from England, he was like, a, he looked like a rock, a, like a 
you know, heavy metal rock dude, you know, and he had this long, <laughs> long blonde hair and his like skin tight, like leather pants or whatever studs on him and all this kind of stuff. But those guys are really fun. And, uh, the thing that was funny, I, I remember that they had a stipend, a monthly stipend. And, uh, if they didn't go through it all that month, it wouldn't be replenished for the next month. So they made sure to, to spend all the money in the account every month. And how yeah. did they do that? Those guys drank like fish. And so, uh, of course, they, they <laughs> and I don't know how they did it, but I mean, we were all a lot younger, but literally those guys would be out like all night, especially this one guy and just like come back to work the next morning and like days in a row. I don't yeah. even know, no sleep maybe, but they'd often invite us to come out. So there are certain areas of Tokyo that were fun for that kind of thing, you know, for food, but also like all these really cool little, like, uh, you know, uh, niche bars and things. And, uh, yeah. and we would just stick with those guys and they would pay for it all because they had to spend all the money. <laughs> But they were working with us. They were co-developing a virtual reality game for the arcade. And it had a headset and everything. So I remember seeing that in, in development. But I, I don't remember how what that game was called or how popular mm. it became. I'm trying to think if anything comes off the top of my head that perhaps around about that time period it could have been. But I can't really think. The only thing I was going to say about your story, Ken, was that um, I think the the old itemless receipt technique for uh, work tabs always goes down a treat. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> if you're spending yeah. your money on drinks, you don't want that to show up on the receipt, of course. Right. It was dinner. I, I don't know how. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They knew what they were doing, I'll tell you. Tell you that. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, wow. Yeah. I, Maybe I'll, know, I have one other story I can think of I could tell you before we wrap up and all that. Please do, yeah. We we got time. I just, yeah, I don't know where it goes. Right. The stories are the stories are great. I could honestly sit yeah. here all day. <laughs> well, this is a this is kind of a fun one for me. So I mentioned this friend of mine, Jeff. So uh, his last name is Buchanan. So uh, he used to be in the in the Marine Corps and he fought in the Gulf War and he was injured there and he, he was he he, uh, he left the military after being injured there, right? And then his wife was Japanese, and um, and anyway, so he loved Japan. I mean, the guy, he's he's very well studied. I mean, he was Marines and all that, so he knows combat and whatnot, but very well read and studied. And, and you know, he's like a brother, basically. Uh, we got really close. And he's, I told you, we've we've kept in touch all these years. And like I spoke to him just a few days ago. He's in Virginia now, again, where he's from originally. But anyway, so um, we, we do a lot. Like, he, he'd say, hey, okay, Let's work out. So, you know, he knew like how to do all the workout stuff. So I remember like we we had a period where we'd go out like every morning, run around, you know, starting from the company and end up doing push ups and all this kind of stuff. But um, but we used to have a lot of fun in the company uh, because so there's certain games in the arcade that I, you know, I used to go to the arcades sometimes and play these games, but I play some other, uh, com, you know, competitors games. Remember, there's one by Namco and they, uh, it was called Cyber Tank, I think, or Cyber Tanks or something. Cyber Sled. That was it. I used to love that game because, you know, <laughs> it was, a, you know, these vehicles you could sit in, you could play against somebody else. So you either had like the, the, the slow but well armored one or you had or you had the really speedy but less but less, you know, uh, decked out uh, craft. And so I used to play the speedy one and that friend of mine, Jeff, you know, he played the other one often. But they had this at Sega because they had a lot of competitors games there in the hallways and whatnot. Sure. So, um, and then of course they had like their own games, like the virtual fighter games, like they're developing the second one or the third one. And so I think it was that time, you know, the, the first one was out there working on version two and that added, I think I added, um, what was the name of the drunken fighter guy? Shun, is it Shun D? 
I think something Shun like, like Shun something. Shun okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I ended up liking that character in the first game. I really liked Kage. He was the, yeah. the uh, ninja, you know. <laughs> and I learned some interesting Japanese from the things he would say in the game. And asking, what is he saying? They're oh, okay. That's cool. Um, but anyway, so <laughs> so Jeff and I would often uh, we we we'd establish this kind of pattern of living and working. He had his own family, but it was he had to he had to commute quite a distance. Whereas for me, the commute wasn't quite as bad, and I didn't have any family to go home to. Just a girlfriend, but I didn't have kids or whatnot. But anyway, so um, but he would often stay over at the company because like it was he'd work too late or whatever, and didn't want to go all the way home and back. So for this would happen fairly often, maybe once a week, once every other week, something like that. That uh, you know, we finished the workday and then we'd go and eat. There were a number of restaurants right around the company. I mean, we go to these restaurants for lunch too, but there's one that we typically go to for dinner, and they used to make like um, uh. You know tonkatsu? You're familiar with what that is? The food, it's like uh, fried cutlet. And yes. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Like pork cutlet, sometimes or chicken. And they put they, they can either have it just like that, or they'll do different things, put different ingredients on that. Mm -hmm. So it, I remember we used to call this place. I think Jeff came up with the name for it. They call it the cheesy chicken place, and because <laughs> they would they they would they would make this kind of cutlet, but they would like I don't know they would layer the chicken with cheese in it. And then they'd fry it and you'd have rice and veggies and whatnot with it. So we'd often go there and eat dinner. Uh, and then we'd head back to the company and of course after we finished work. So then we'd just start playing these different games for hours. And then, you know, we, we maybe we'd be done around midnight or something. And we had, uh, just like today, a lot of companies, even like I have at Lucas when we have like a, you know, your security card. And we figured out the system because you had to tap the card on the, the reader to log your hours at work. And so we figured out the system that uh, we would we would tag off at a certain time. I don't know, it was like 6.45 p.m. or something like that, or maybe 6 or 5, I don't remember. But I remember in the morning, we, we finally figured out that the work day started like at 6.45 a.m. And so we'd, we'd go and we'd sleep in the motion capture room. <laughs> so that And this was the room where they did all the, the motion capture for the Virtua Fighter games, among other things. And Jeff was actually hired because of his Marine hand-to-hand -hand combat experience. So he, he ended up becoming an animator on the team using Soft Image, but his main contribution was to help uh, come up with some of the moves, the hand-to-hand -hand combat moves to make sure they were realistic. Um, and actually one of the characters in Virtual Fighter is named after him. So there's a character named Jeffrey, he's like the big Caribbean yeah, guy. Yeah. So no. that, that's named, named after him. So anyway, so we'd sleep in this motion capture room and then we'd make sure to wake up in the morning in time. We, we'd get out, you know, wash my face or whatever, and then you know swipe the card right at 6 45 a.m go down to this place called jonathan's and that there was that and another place for breakfast because they had like the all you can eat omelet breakfast deal with coffee and all that and then come back to the company and we had like another hour hour and a half of gameplay before we had to be back at our desk to start another workday. so th those were good times yeah that sounds like the perfect work-life balance i love everything about that <laughs> yeah it does <laughs> it was in your 20s you know yeah yeah <laughs> Not in my age. Uh, yeah, I believe um because you had mentioned uh, Kenji Sasaki. I believe he either yeah. came over from Namco or went yeah, to I Namco so. after because I think he worked on Ridge Racer. Could be. So yeah, yeah it might have been Ridge Racer I, to Snake Rally. And I think his his girlfriend and then may, perhaps later his wife's name was Shoji. I think Shoji-san, <laughs> if I remember correctly. Um, <laughs> but there that reminds me. Uh, I don't remember it being Sasaki-san, but 
there was a group of people in, I mean, that's for racing stuff, but there was a group of people in AM2 working on the virtual fighter stuff that all the other companies wanted to create something similar. And I remember those guys almost as a group, they would go and work at another kind of like Capcom and then go to Namco or whatever. Ah. And each, you know, each, at each company they went to, they would develop a similar game to a virtual fighter. It's all the same kind of mechanics, 3D mechanics and stuff. And I just remember like hearing that each time they went, they would just negotiate a higher salary. So they just be getting more money and more money every company they went to. Also, you have to hire us as a group. We're we're a consolidated that unit. Yeah. Seemed like that's what they were doing. Yeah, <laughs> it's all or nothing. Yeah. Very smart. Yeah. Uh, wow. So yeah, we've been. The time's just flown by. We're at about an hour and a half. Um, oh, okay. Guess, yeah. Uh, I, I guess we can kind of start winding down. But Brent, any sure. any last. Uh, questions for ken here any closing thoughts no i mean no burning questions ken it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you um it's like like i said it sounds really silly but you'd be surprised at how much uh, credence things like announcers can have in people's memories just from that audio yeah. part we were talking about earlier um there's a really apparent story that happened on the internet about a year ago for the announcer for another sega game called super monkey ball and basically there was this um, YouTuber who really loved the series and started like a, a literal almost manhunt to find the guy who'd done the announcers for this game because um, he uh, wasn't listed in the credits or that sort of thing. And it uh, went like semi-viral just trying to find this guy who'd simply said things like finish and, and goal and that sort of thing. Yeah. So um, whilst you haven't been the suspect of a manhunt yourself, you'll be happy to know um, that it yeah. is very possible that the types of work that you've done in these games can really resonate with people. And like that's that's always the thing that sticks out to me when I think about Sega Alley. It's not just the, the music, it's the, the announcer voice as well. And and like you were saying earlier about Mizuguchi-san, like, he was a guy who really liked the idea of audio and visual matching up so yeah. you must have mm -hmm. absolutely known that your voice was like the absolute perfect thing for the game and there was no need yeah. to look for anybody else yeah no it all just you know it all worked out really well and i'm i'm really appreciative of the fact that people really enjoyed it because it's something it's the kind of story i hear from other people like let's say mark hamill when he talks about his time <laughs> on star wars you know he's got so many stories but he he's got certain stories he tells again and again and he's just like you know, we had no idea it was going to be popular at the time, and we all thought that would be it, and they didn't really spend much time this that and the other. Then it becomes this big deal, and people are asking him all these different questions, and now he's got, you know, on, on Twitter, he's got his own account there, and I, I follow on there just to see what he comes up with. But uh, but it's interesting that the impact certain things will have are just like something's part of the, you know, your memory and uh, the whole persona of some, you know, piece of media that uh, it's just great to have been a part of it. You know, you don't realize what it might become someday to certain people, so... I'm happy that it's done good things for folks. Yeah, I mean, we also have to recognize that this was the early to mid 90s. Like, I remember yeah. it was a big deal anytime any video game had speech in it. It was just right. not yeah. something you were guaranteed to encounter. So, the idea of playing this racing game that looked really good, that played amazingly, that had all this great music, and then somebody was talking at me, it, it felt like there was a presence there that maybe other yeah. games lacked and in in rallying especially like as a simulation like the the role of the co-driver is very important you mm -hmm. know it's the the entire sport revolves around because 
while in Sega Rally, obviously, you're doing the same stages, you're doing the same tracks, and you can remember those tracks after you've played them a couple times. In Rallying, right. the stages are numerous and very mm. long, and they change year to year. And there's no way that a driver is going to know what lies ahead. So, yeah. um, yeah, so your involvement was also key. You know, I don't, I can't say for certain, like, what was the first racing game to have co-driver calls in it. But, I mean, Sega Rally, yeah. I think, is definitely the one that most people would say, you know, made it mainstream. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm, yeah. I wasn't aware of the kind of history of that, but that's interesting. Yeah. And it's also interesting yeah. that you always refer to as the co-driver, because I always remember it being referred to as the navigator. The navigator, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. They're both, I, I mean, think, yeah. they both work. <laughs> yeah, I just don't know that industry to know what, you know, what the what the terminology is. Yeah, typically the calls would be like, um, you would do like maybe the radius of the corner. So if it was a 90 mm. return, it'd be like 90, right. And then, or you mm. might do like, um, you know, you'd say over crest, like you say over jump in the, uh, in the game. Um, yeah. Or like, a decreasing like you you'd attach a number to a call and that would tell you how tight the corner is going to be so if it was like a one that would be tighter than like a six for example so yeah got um, it yeah yeah and it's Short like code words that get the idea across you know right and and they've actually hired like real co-drivers to do in some of these really super realistic simulations they have today for these games like dirt rally is a big one they hire okay. actual co-drivers and they put them uh I think they put them in a. I can't remember the name of the guy who does it, Brendan, or who did it for Dirt Rally Two. Um, but they put him in like yeah. a motion rig, and they put the headset on him, and that was actually like the kind of headset he would be using um, yeah. if mm -hmm. he was in the car. And it, he's getting like jostled around <laughs> and like you know beaten up and down and stuff by this motion <laughs> rig, and they have him record the line so it sounds authentic. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> The lengths they go to for an authentic game. You know? Yeah. <laughs> That's cool, though. I mean, I'm if I were a rally racing enthusiast, I'd be all over that. Yeah, I don't get the sense you'd want to put yourself in that machine and, and go through that. <laughs> <laughs> no, to play to play the result of it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, listen, Ken, um, it's been absolutely fantastic. We both of us obviously cannot thank you enough for taking the time to be here, talking about all your memories and it was, you know, amazing. It was a formative part, obviously, of our lives and so many people to play these games. But then to hear the stories mm -hmm. behind them is just uh, is especially um, really nice. So well, thanks. thanks. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, I really appreciate uh, you taking the time to and the interest, you know, all these years later to be interviewed for the first time for the for this. <laughs> it's really it's an honor and a pleasure to do this. So thanks, guys. There's actually like one thing we were going to ask you, Ken. Um, it oh, depends, yeah. of course. <laughs> depends, of course, how good the pipes are these days. Um, do you think you could try and replicate the voice and say "Time Extend Racing Game Podcast" that you, you did that voice of many years ago? Uh, I could try. <clears throat> what is the line again? A time Extend Racing Game Podcast. All right. Let's see. Time Extend Racing Game Podcast. Oh man, I think amazing. that was perfect. That's, that's that's a ten out of ten from me. <laughs> you, you didn't need a maybe on that one. That was pretty much for sure. <laughs> that was a, that was one take. Now I know why Mizuguchi-san was like, right, that's who we're going with. You don't need a second take. <laughs> um, is there anything? Uh, we're, we're not 
you know, we have a little niche community. We're not super big, but are you active on social media? Would you like to plug anything? <laughs> Space oh. is yours. <laughs> uh, I, you know, I'm not huge on social media. Okay. I'm basically in, in my generation, I guess we got into Facebook. I know the, the younger folks are more on Instagram. I'm also on Instagram and on Twitter a little bit, but not too much on Twitter. Um, but I don't know that I have anything really to push. I just want to thank everybody who's had the interest over the years and, and hopefully all aspects of the Sega rally game. And I have to say, you know, kudos to the programmers and all the people who put all the effort into actually making it work other than just people contributing voices and, and whatnot. Um, it's kind of like my career for the last 20 plus years as a visual effects artist. It's always nice when people are up on stage, like a director or one of the actors will actually recognize all the people in visual effects, you know, all the animators, the effects animators, you know, the models. I mean, all these people who put all this time and energy to producing stuff that's oftentimes an actual real character in the film that would never be shown up on stage really. Uh, so it's always, you know, I always like to thank the, all the people who put time and energy into things. And then all the, all the fans, I guess I can say, it's interesting mm -hmm. to have a fan base for the game, but I'm glad there is one. Of course. And, and we all thank you. You know, I, I will plug one thing. Yes. So I'm currently, I, I, I work on, uh, I work on an animated, episodic star wars uh program on disney plus called the bad batch so please if you haven't already watch the bad batch season two is going to come out i think in i think they announced it'll be in september uh and then there was another kind of secret project we were working on which they did announce at the star wars celebration recently called tales of the jedi so that's another one that i've yep. been working on so that's something to look forward to so Go okay, get your I'll, Star Wars on. I'll be sure. I'll be sure to look out for that. I will yeah. admit, I'm. I am somehow like I. I don't know how. I just miss Star Wars like my whole life. I'm like the only. Oh, I'm like no. the only person. Yeah. So like my girlfriend actually is. She's very into Star Wars, and um, we watched the episode. She was like, "Is it okay if I just watch this one episode of the of the Boba Fett show where the Mandalorian shows up?" And I was like, "Okay, uh -huh. I don't know what any of those things mean, but sure, let's watch it." Okay. Um, <laughs> And the episode, spoiler, we don't usually have to warn about spoilers for Star Wars, but spoilers for anyone who hasn't seen the episode. Um, the whole episode is just the Mandalorian. I don't think Boba Fett appears in it at all. So when the episode starts, it's like the first five minutes, like I guess mm -hmm. if you would call it like the pre-credit sequence and then, you know, the title yeah. goes up on the screen. And it's all the Mandalorian. I turned to my girlfriend. I'm like, that's cool. So when does the Mandalorian show up? <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. That, that was Fett, him. Yeah. You've seen him. Yeah, you've seen him. And I'm yeah. like, but this is the Boba Fett show. I was very confused. Yeah, um, it is interesting how they did that. But I think later they explained that just like in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, they're trying to have all these series that take place in, in the same time frame in the Star Wars yeah. Universe, have characters intercrossing, and eventually they'll all come together in some way or another. Sure. So, yeah, that's what our current that's what my current boss, um, Dave Filoni, is working on the new Ahsoka series. And he was involved with Mandalorian and to some degree, Boba Fett, I think. Uh, and so he's part of the he's like kind of at the core of making all this happen in these different series. So. Very cool. I'll be sure to uh, look out for the Bad Batch and, and deepen my Star yeah, Wars thanks. knowledge for the yeah. next time. Same here. <laughs> all right. <laughs> all it's right. been a pleasure chatting with the two of you. Uh, it's been a pleasure. It's been a pleasure here as well. Thank you so much. And thanks, everybody. Yeah, you're very welcome. Cheers. All right. Bye. Bye-bye.
Sega Rally Championship. Championship.